0: You're listening to the Audacious Leadership Podcast. This interview was recorded by Senior Pastor Glenn Barrett during the coronavirus lockdown of 2020. For any more information about us, head to our website audaciouschurch.com.
1: And We're so honoured to have Pete Gregg with us tonight, the founder of 24-7 Prayer and the lead pastor of Emmaus Road with his beautiful wife, Sammy. Pete, thanks for joining us. On it's so fun. Thanks for having me. You're looking good, mate. It seems to me that isolation, in some senses, is suiting you. Looking at all those books behind you versus the amount of books behind me, it seems like you've got a lot that you can be getting on with in your isolation time.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I, d- I don't mind a bit of time on my own. It's kind, of a, it's kind of a blessing, but it's gone on a bit long now, eh? Yeah, yeah. Are you, are you an introvert or an extrovert, Pete? I'm right in the middle ambivert so i need a bit of both so, so which i think is quite helpful as a leader you know if, if if you're all extrovert you've got no space for a bit of internal processing or reflecting it's not necessarily a good thing if you're a crazy introvert it's just going to kill you <laughs> so yeah what are you
1: oh gosh i think i'm an extrovert but you know i think the older i'm getting the more introvert i'm, I'm becoming. So. Yeah. This lockdown, for, for all the horrors that it, you know is is taking place in society, there are elements of my own time that I'm I'm quite enjoying. I've done 50 days of Spanish now, Pete. No. Uh, yeah, 50 days of Spanish, and I've been working really hard on my masters as well, as well as everything else that we're doing. So uh, I feel like I'm getting a lot done. So.
0: It's, what, what are you doing, Spanish online? Yeah, yeah, just Duolingo. So I'm doing. Come on, hour hour. come on, then hit me with something. Yeah.
1: I can say things like "Dame un beso," give me a kiss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's good to know what your priorities are
1: Pastor. <laughs> uh, married 25 years this year, mate I've got to work on everything I can <laughs> um, Pete, listen, before we get into some things let's, let's, A lot of our people are going to know you A lot of our people are going to know um, 24-7 Prayer, a lot of people are going to know you know, um, Your history regarding HTB and, uh, and everything you're doing at Emmaus Road You're an author, etc. as well Obviously, the, the great tragedy of your life Is that you support Portsmouth Oh, yes. Um, but let's, let's do a quick, a few rapid-fire questions for you, okay? So, are you cereal or toast?
0: Oh, Marmite and toast. Nothing beats it with a lot of butter. Marmite, really? Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Have you yeah.
0: tried Vegemite? Is, is it basically the same thing, Glenn? It, it basically is, but it's Australian. Yeah, I know. It's basically the same thing. It's like so many things. I'll send you some. Okay, yeah. uh, jazz or blues? Uh, blues, probably.
1: Which Manchester team would you say, City or United?
0: I've got to say City, right?
1: <laughs> You've got to say City. That's no, but In all
0: seriousness, I always think City is like a proper Manchester team, whereas is United not just a bit of a brand? I would I
1: say you're absolutely 100% right, right there. Um, that'll get me in trouble. Are you sneakers or flip-flops?
0: Right now, flip-flops. I'm loving this weather.
1: Um, okay, what about this one? Football or cricket?
0: Cricket a oh, good man cricket or rugby to play cricket to watch rugby I went to a school where I played rugby five days a week and I wasn't very good at it it's weird to be made to do something you're not very good at and I'm just not you know I don't I'm not big enough to be a forward and I'm not fast enough to be to be in the in the lines of, but I love watching rugby but uh, cricket's good fun
1: what position do you play in the rugby
0: field. They, they <laughs> I started scrum half and they gradually moved me as far out as you up on the wing. It's always a bad sign when they keep moving you every week, isn't it? <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right mate, are you steak or pasta man?
0: Steak. A good yeah. a good fillet mignon with a nice red wine.
1: Nice. Beach your shops
0: every day of the week beach.
1: Okay
0: favorite movie uh sure Shank redemption
1: you know quite a lot of the guys have said that over the last few weeks
0: they? yeah they have i tell you one that's a little more random that i like is a few good men one of the greatest courtroom dramas that's, you did not did you order the code red that's a great movie
1: Yeah, yeah yeah you can't handle the truth
0: yeah
1: my um that's my wife's favorite movie actually is it yeah yeah you're in good company there there you go favorite book of the bible
0: Oh, it varies, but I mean, Ephesians is... Pre- Do you ever get the sense some bits God just went, yeah, I nailed that. They're just <laughs> better than others, aren't they? Uh, the Ephes- Ephesians is killer, isn't it? Ephesians oh, is great.
1: I love Ephesians. Uh, all right, give us a give us a preaching fail. A moment that you've been oh. on stage and you've... faux pas or something's happened and you thought, oh my gosh, so uh, nice. I want the ground to open up and swallow me.
0: So... So many. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, the very first preach I ever did, someone had said to me, and it was it was like an evangelistic one, put your hands up you want to become a Christian, which I always think is tougher because it's like you rate it, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Success is measurable. And um and people had all brought their friends, and someone had coached me and said, the key thing is to work out how you transition from your preach to your response. Have a really good, like, pivot. <laughs> I don't even know if I should tell you this, but this is the absolute truth. So I I came up with, look, I was at 18 or something. I thought it was a great, great killer pivot line. I now realize it was a terrible line, but I was going to say to everyone, it's like moving to this place of exercising free choice in response to God. I want to say, everyone, God is a lover and not a rapist. I, th- I thought this was a, like, good line it's a bad line I know but I thought but I'm <laughs> unfortunately I got it the wrong way round. oh no genuinely and Sammy who I was dating at the time was sitting on the front row I just saw her going no and literally no one no one wanted to respond to my message because I t- said a terrible thing about God and I remember I just drove up the hill near where I had preached and I I, I I just knew I would never ever preach anywhere ever again. That was literally my first public preach. It was a disaster.
1: Wow. That that is tragic. I Do mean
0: what, what disturbs me is you're not laughing. It's like I'm getting the compassionate look from you Glenn. It's like it really after all these years it really was that bad, but it was.
1: But you know what? I I think when you live on stage you die on stage, don't you? I think there's just it just happens, doesn't it? I, I forgot once what Jesus was doing on the cross. I forgot. No. I was a young preacher, early 20s, I'm preaching away to this packed church. And I said, and Jesus was standing on the cross. No, he was kneeling on the cross. He was sitting on the cross and I couldn't remember. And I had to stop. I had to turn to the pastor and say, what was he doing on the cross? He said, he was hanging. I said, yeah, he was hanging on the cross. That, that's a bad one.
0: Aren't, on those um, days you're glad that YouTube didn't exist.
1: Oh, my gosh. Listen, uh, what's your favourite worship song at the moment?
0: Uh the UK blessing song. It's just stunning. It's amazing.
1: What about Of All Time?
0: Oh, no, that's a good one. Um, I just, you know, I think for everyone, the songs you learn as a kid, if, you, if you're blessed enough to grow up in a Christian home are the ones that are deepest within you so it's probably something simple like spirit of the living God fall afresh on me you know I tell you the song my worship pastor knows I can rarely get through um, when I survey the wondrous cross without weeping and sometimes I swear he deliberately does it just before I'm coming on just for fun <laughs> like it just destroys me Oh my God! You know, were well, the whole realm of nature, my that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine demands my my life, my soul, my all. I mean, it's just incredible. That's beautiful,
1: Pete. I wonder if you could just give us a two minutes on your background, where you were raised, the home you were raised into, and how you ended up kind of coming into twenty four seven prayer, and then obviously a road as well. Tell us yeah. a little bit about the journey over over two or three minutes, if you can
0: okay uh yeah I grew up not far from where I am now in in in, in uh, Reigate in Surrey uh, I, you know my, my i was- gr- I grew up in a Christian home I um, quit my faith uh, when I was about i don't know seventeen eighteen a whole bunch of things went wrong in my life and I remember running out of church one Sunday night and screaming at God i don't believe you exist. And, uh, and then lived as a non-Christian for a while, and it had made the dis- depressing discovery I was even worse at being a non-Christian than at being a Christian. I knew I was bad at being a Christian, but I was really bad at being a non-Christian. I kept talking to God about the fact he didn't exist. Um, I didn't really want to sin as much as I thought I did. It was just a whole, I was really depressing to be, I was, ter- I was a terrible non-Christian. So I eventually backslid into agnosticism. And then i really found my faith through a lady called jackie pullinger i went out to hong kong and worked with heroin addicts and i had triad gang members smack me in the face and 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 i tell you what happened is i i was surrounded by people more like jesus than me and something in me shifted and i thought i need to be different and i don't know how that happens and i had one day off a week and i'd spend it alone in a tin shack in kowloon praying the same thing like a mantra over and over again, probably thinking I was going crazy. I just kept saying it hundreds of thousands of times. um, Change my heart or take me home. Change my heart or take me home. Change my heart or take me home. It's bizarre. I mean, like, and I didn't think anything happened. But eventually after a number of months when I came back to England, people didn't physically didn't recognize me. Like my actual features had had changed. And um, I think, you know, I'm not exactly perfect now, but I think God did sh- rewire me in some way. And after that, I just knew, you know, I'll do anything. God's got me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And cut a long story short, I ended up pastoring in, on the South Coast in a, in a funny little place called Chichester. And then um, I realized I became very spiritually hungry, September 1999, desperate to know God better. Worried that all our programs were working and that if God died, I wouldn't know. And like, worried that I might one day be the guy who said, look at all the stuff I did for you. And he'll say, yeah, good. But we didn't actually really know each other. Aware that I was outsourcing my prayer life to godly old ladies. Aware I wasn't seeing anything like the miracles or the power I saw in the book of Acts. And, and when you start to ask those kind of questions, it only takes you one place, which is prayer. There's only one way to get the revelation Jesus had, to know the power that Jesus had, to be, to have solidarity with those first apostles is prayer. And so, you know, when you're a leader, what you do is if you have a problem, you persuade everyone else, it's their problem as well. So I persuaded everyone that the whole church had a prayer problem and it was really my problem. And we started a 24-7 prayer room. We stole the idea from the Moravians who prayed night and day for a hundred years and converted John Wesley and changed the world. We thought if they could do a hundred years, we'll do a month, see what happens. Uh, and if we only manage a week, it will still be more praying than we've ever done before. And then what happened was God showed up in the prayer room. We couldn't stop at the end of the first month. By, year, by the third month, it just went viral, began to spread all over the world. And it hasn't stopped. And we're now in over half the nations on earth. We've been praying non-stop for 20 years. Um, we've got a network of communities, monasteries all around the world. Um, and, and, um, I think we've kind of reorientated our understanding of church as it's all about the presence of God. You know, one day there'll be no more non-Christians to preach to. There'll be no more injustice to fight. There'll be you and Jesus. So you better have something to talk to him about.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's wonderful. So 24 seven prayer has really gone global. What sort of statistics do you have available, Pete, in terms of being able to inspire people? How many how many twenty four seven prayer rooms are there? How many people are praying? What does that look like now?
0: We only track about. We're only able to track about ten percent of the prayer rooms. Uh, we yes. know that because as I travel around the world, I continually meet you know people who are running prayer rooms that haven't even told us. So this thing really is a movement. In that sense, it's viral. But uh, but but you know there's 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 been well over a hundred thousand prayer rooms. We're as I say, I can't remember. We're in hundred I can't remember what it is one hundred and twenty nations. Um, you know we we you know we we've been praying nonstop as I say since fifth of September nineteen ninety nine. Um, you know we launched a whole. Ministry in schools, turning school classrooms into prayer rooms. That's growing literally exponentially. I can't even remember how many school. I'm terrible with numbers, Glenn, but we're in just crazy numbers of schools. Um, you know, we 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 um, uh, have like communities now in it must be about thirty different nations. We've got actual, you know, physical. You know, they're either churches or monasteries. Um, you know, we launched a new devotional resource in December. That's now just, I'd heard yesterday, we've just had 100,000 downloads of that one, Like People are using it now. That's in whatever that's been, six months. So it just, it, it's, it's amazing. And, and we're working with everyone from like the Catholic Church at the absolute highest levels through the Salvation Army at street level and doing a lot with Justin Welby, you know, and the Kingdom Come initiative some people have heard of. Yeah. And, and it's weird because when we started, prayer was not like rock and roll. It was like the rebranding challenge of the century. But I think suddenly everyone, and, and with coronavirus, you probably know that the tear fund research that came out a week ago or two weeks ago, you know, 3.3 million people have turned to prayer nice. since this, this virus began. So I think what we're realizing is prayer, you know, way more people pray than go to church. So prayer yeah. isn't just this thing we do to try and get people saved. Prayer is actually a, a, a meeting place, a missional connection point. And many people, you say you come to church, they might well say no. But if you say, can I pray for you, they most, almost all say yes. Uh, people don't want to yeah. preach that, still want to be prayed for. So it, it is an incredible opportunity, I believe.
1: It's a brilliant thing. I'm, I'm going to use a, a word that in some Christian circles is, is a bit of a dirty word. It's the word success. So so when you look at, at how 24-7 prayer has reached so many people, has engaged with so many people, there would be many people looking at that and saying, wow, that's that's a great success. I'm sure that within you, you are, yes, celebrating what God is doing through it, but totally aware of of what is yet to be done as well. And so holding the tension of success on one side, and yet still a lot to be done on the other. How do you manage that tension between enjoying the moment, enjoying what God is doing, and yet still keeping the vision and the passion alive for everything you want God to do?
0: The the absolute, you know this Glenn, the absolute heart of leadership is you have to deal with paradox like to be a visionary. And if you're not a visionary, you're not a leader, right? By definition, you have to see something that is not yet, that maybe other people haven't seen and be going after it, which means you will always live between two worlds. You know, that which is and that yeah. which is not. And, and um, you know, therefore you've got to learn to live with those tensions, right? And, and um, if you can't, you're not a good leader. You know, if you're only future orientated, and you lose touch with present reality. You're a terrible. You're a mystic. You're not a good leader. If you're totally rooted in the present realities, but you don't have a compelling sense of, you know, where we're going, then you're you're not leading anyone anywhere. So that tension is not unique to me. That's just common to anyone who's in any form of leadership in any sphere in society that's that's listening to this or watching this. Um, I think how you handle it is is you have to live in primary colors. You know, you, you, if you just mix up, you know, it's interesting. If you look at impressionist art, they took blobs of primary color and they put them together in a way that shimmered and brought light and movement, right? Mm. They, they, because photography had been invented. There was no point in just trying to exactly represent what you can see in front of you. They wanted art to do something that photography couldn't. And they found that by juxtaposing bright colors, you get close to a Van Gogh or whatever, you, you, you know, it doesn't make sense. Now to me, that's what life is. If Van Gogh had just mixed all those colors up, he'd have just had mud on the, the, on the canvas, right? So the art of leadership is to juxtapose light and dark The different colors of life and hold them together relationally and psychologically and spiritually in such a way that you get light and movement. And that means you have to get good at celebrating what is good and pushing into the pain of life at the same time which to me is the heart of Christian faith, Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday walk hand in hand. Mm. And so I'm seeing a lot of this, uh, the problem of this right now, because there is some very, very, very good news that we're celebrating as a church right now. But the moment I put that out on social media, I always get someone saying, um, people are dying right now. How, how can you you know say this? And what they don't get is, it is entirely possible for me and I think anyone who's got some sort of Christian maturity to be weeping and mourning one moment and celebrating the next and we see those two together, we don't see one opposing the other. It is through the fellowship in Christ's sufferings that we experience the power of his resurrection. Brilliant. Love that.
1: I, I remember my, my dad was, um, was a theologian um, had you know twenty thousand books up to twenty thousand books in his library before he, he passed away and was was really deeply devoted to, to the study of God, always reading and the concept of paradox, even the concept of opposites in theology itself. My dad would say this that in God two opposites can both be true yeah. and, and we often argue and, and try to put things into, into categories of black and white, but actually the ability to to hold these tensions are really important. I think if we jump into theology just for a moment, Pete, um, it's really interesting to see what lots of different people are saying regarding coronavirus, COVID-19. Yeah. You know, on one hand, people are saying it's an act of God, it's the judgment of God upon our sin, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, on the other end of the spectrum, are those who are saying, "Oh, this has got nothing to do with God whatsoever. These are, these are simplistic terms I'm, I'm talking right now. Pete, why don't you just give us right now, what is what is your theology as a pastor, as somebody who's who's well-read, you're an author, you're involved in leadership in many different forums. Give us, give us your take on what you think is happening right now, theologically, with COVID-19, with coronavirus, bearing in mind that many people have lost their lives with it, and yet we are seeing this exciting thing take place in the church globally as well. Just give us your thoughts on that.
0: You know, I think you have to ask, How is God's sovereignty outworked? And I believe God's sovereignty is outworked um, through and even in spite of human systems. So um, pastorally, I'm absolutely convinced God has not sent coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Listen. What are the marks of this thing? It is killing people, especially the most vulnerable. It is sowing anxiety and terror. It is ruining financial markets, and before anyone with a slight left-wing agenda says, oh no, that's a good thing, it's a bad thing, it will cost lives, it will cost jobs, it will make the poor poorer, you know, I could go on. This has all the marks of something demonic, This Mm. is not the heart of God. Mm. Now, um, I do believe, however, that God can take bad and make it good. That is the message of the cross. And I think what we're seeing right now is God, you know, doing a a beautiful judo move. He does it all the time. He he takes that which is meant for evil and he turns it to good. I've been studying revivals for more than 25 years. And I wrote a book. In the late 90s that almost no one read and uh, a lot of people the few people who did read it didn't like it because I talk about the sociology of revival but it it, it struck me there's never been an awakening I mean a proper awakening that um, happened outside the context of sociological shaking there's always, you could, you, you could name any revival, if I've studied it, I will tell you what the social context was that created destabilization in the psyche of the culture. And, uh, and, 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 you know, aside from sociology, just read your Bible. The people of God never do well when they're comfortable, sadly. The father's thought yeah. is that we would live in great comfort, great blessing and great joy. And every now and then you must hear the sigh from heaven as he goes, oh, no, I'm going to have to hold back and like, like allow some of the, 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 the evil of the world through because they got to wake up. And it's not that he sent it, but he has permitted it because there is greater glory. And that's probably where I'd finish. I think if we're going to understand that God can take something as evil as this and use it for good, we've got to be talking about a level of glory that is way beyond just um, a few extra people getting saved. The more evil this thing seems, the more we have to pray for and be unfaithful, contend for, a glory that will far outweigh this evil just as the resurrection of Jesus takes the most evil event in human history and somehow makes it worthwhile. Worthy, worthy, worthy. So again, it's back to my thing of paradox. We have to push into the horror and the evil of it and then push into the glory and the hope of it and hold those two things together and and refuse to get into paradigm that pits one against the other and says I've either got to be the kind of Christian who's miserable and resigned and you know some famous leaders all they've had to say Christian leaders in this crisis been we've got to learn to lament well stuff that I mean of course we need to learn to lament and then other Fools. I mean, brothers and sisters in Christ, but fools. Biblically, have, have sort of said, you know, we're immune from this, and 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 you know, we can rise above this, or that this this evil thing was sent by God, and 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 I believe what we've got to do is say, no, there is a battle. That this is an evil uh, manifestation of a fallen planet, but we believe in the resurrection of Jesus that turns bad things into very very good things so let's hold those two realities together
1: oh that's beautiful i love that, pete I'm, i've got a million questions tangents i want to run on we, we, we haven't got time to do that but listen as a man of god as a man of the church um church being the bride of christ there's this fascinating scripture that says that the lord is going to come back for a glorious bride what does it what does that what does that terminology mean to you <laughs>
0: um i mean you you're asking an eschatological question, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it is, it is, you know, I, I believe that, um, you know, the, the, it's interesting to me, if you take 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14, everyone's been talking about through this crisis, you know, the, the conditions of a plague, you know, and, and God saying, I will, I, I, you know, I will you know, forgive your sins and I'll heal your land. If you will humble yourself, seek my face, uh, turn from your wicked ways and pray. And, you know, we have to ask ourselves, why is God putting these four big fat conditions on something surely he wants to do every anyway, which is forgive sins, uh, hear prayers and heal the land? Like, why? Is this some big deal? Is God going, you know, you got to prove yourself? No, it is because. Now, this is a revelation I've never seen before. Listen to this. This is good stuff, Glenn. The turning from your wicked ways, the, 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 the repenting, the, the, the humbling yourself, the seeking God's face in prayer, that is the healing of the land. That is the forgiveness of sins, right? It's not a trick to somehow purchase miracles from God. It has to begin with us, the church. So what does a healed land look like? What does a forgiven land look like? It looks like one beginning with the people of God, where people are humble instead of arrogant. They're walking in righteousness instead of sin, uh, abusing children, abusing one another, breaking their covenants. It's, It's humble, it's repentant, and it's prayerful. It's focused on the Lord. So when we start to do that stuff, we create a landing pad for that virus of righteousness and healing to break out through us into the world. Does that make sense? So, everyone uses that scripture as a transaction. God is relational, not transactional. You know, yeah. when he says, Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, it's, it, it's because he already loves us with all his heart, mind, soul. When he says, Pick up your cross and follow me, it's because he's already picked up his cross. And, and so, and so, Everything that God asks of us is what He's already done for us, and all He's asking is, "Would you reciprocate?" The only paradigm that you can make sense of Scripture through and come out with grace at the other end is a relational God. That's the heart of Trinity.
1: Love that. That's beautiful.
0: I'm, so, I'm getting me. too passionate for a podcast.
1: No, this is this is fantastic. I, We're I've, talking <laughs> about cereal <in> and <laughs> I got two two more questions for you, Pete. Um, and the the first one being on prayer itself. Yeah. And we could talk for, you know, every day on this issue. Yeah. Let's rewind the clock a little bit. There's yeah. going to be lots of people that are going to be watching and listening to this who are, um, inverted commas, beginners at prayer. Um, either A, don't know how to pray, or B, don't spend a lot of time in prayer, maybe don't know how to approach that time in prayer. Yeah. If I was to put you in front of a Bible college class of, of first years, that just come into Bible college, I know you lecture at St. Miletus and other such places as that. What does your opening salvo into a conversation on prayer look like to people where you're saying, come on guys, get passionate about prayer. This is the best thing you could ever engage in. What, what does the first first part of your conversation look like?
0: Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer the first bit of your question on the second. So the first bit was, more how to, and then I can I can easily rant about why prayer matters. But I think everyone knows that prayer matters. You know, um, you know, no one stares up at the northern lights and says, "Wow, I'm incredible." Like, no one holds their newborn baby and says, "I refuse to pray." No, 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 no. you know, a second before the flat line. You pray, you know, like the word prayer comes from from the Latin precarious. It's because life is precarious and we're vulnerable. And also that life is too marvelous for our heads and our hearts to contain that we explode in this thing we call prayer. So get over it. Everyone prays. Now, the question is how? And, and it's an important question because the one thing that, G, that Jesus' disciples asked him to help them with was pray. Lord, teach to pray. They never said, teach to plant a church. They never said, teach to right. preach. They knew this is the key if we're going to inherit our rabbinic uh, sort of mantle. And um, so, I, you know, the, 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 I can answer the question of, of how to pray in nine words and in four steps, okay? So this, you asked me to keep it simple. I keep it. I just wrote a book called How to Pray, keep, a simple guide for normal people. So the nine words are these: How to pray. Keep it simple. Keep it real. Keep it up. That's it. Keep it simple. Just don't get too complicated. You talk to God as a child to a father. Keep it real. Yes, lament. Uh, You know, half of the Psalms are are, are lament. Be honest. The incredible thing about the Bible is not the irreverent and even uh, heretical things that some of God's people do and say, it's they didn't get redacted from the text. It was left in there. You know, Jesus tells that beautiful story about the Pharisee and the tax collector, you know, and the Pharisee like, I thank you, I'm not like other men, and the tax collector is like repenting and saying I'm not worthy, and Jesus with a twinkle in his eye, winking at the Pharisee at the back of the crowd says, who do you think went home heard by God, keep it real, and then finally keep it up, Jesus told some parables saying, You know, this is just to teach you. You must keep praying and not give up. You Keep stacking dominoes. And one day you'll get the breakthrough. And it's not because you suddenly found the right formula. Remember, it's not a transaction. It's because you didn't give up praying one prayer too soon. So so the nine words are keep it simple, keep it real, keep it up. You want four steps? It goes like this, P-R-A-Y. Pause, rejoice, ask, yield. Start your prayer time by pausing. If you're new to this, take a minute of silence. Do some deep breathing that you don't need a bible verse for that that's just a good thing to do you know uh, just be still and know that god is god as psalm 46 right just be still for a little bit don't rush in this is this is the beginning you know all the mindfulness teaching is christian it's judeo-christian stuff uh and a little bit of buddhism but we'll claim it and then ah rejoice rejoice, just spend a bit of time worshiping God, you know, because your paradigm will be off until you remember it's not about me and my feelings and my bank account. It's about God. He's real. He's the ultimate. So focus on who he is, you know, make a worship playlist read a psalm especially the psalms you don't agree with if every psalm is something that you agree with then um you're just in some weird religious echo chamber you enjoy the bits that offend you and confuse you but read the psalms you know mate you have the prayer book of jesus written by David, this is Indiana Jones stuff, at your disposal, and most Christians would rather listen to Tim Hughes. I mean, what's that all about? Read the song, (laughs) listen to to some worship. Then um, ask, this is a bit we're good at. You know, there's two kinds of asking. There's intercession and petition. Petition is asking for your own stuff. Intercession is asking on behalf of other people. You need to do both. Uh, Ask God for your, your needs. You know, he cares for you ask him for your wants. Just don't give up your faith if you don't get them. But he likes to spoil you sometimes. Your prayer life will be at its best, not when you're praying big prayers occasionally, but when you're praying tiny prayers continually. Ask God for stuff. Boy, our world needs prayer right now. And, uh, you know, if you've got any aspiration to lead, if you don't learn how to pray, you're, you are not a leader. You know, not a, you, you might be a Some other kind of leader. You're not a Christian leader. Jesus taught us. He modeled to us. You must be a man or woman of prayer. If you're you're not, you're just not not a Jesus-style leader. And then finally, yield. At the end of your prayer time, take a little bit of time just to say yes to God. Just to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Say, do you know what? Anything you tell me to do, I'm going to do it. Anything anything you you say to me, I'm going to listen. I'm all ears. You might want to get the Bible open at that point. Just say, okay, Lord, what what, what do you want to say to me today? Use the Bible like a conversation. Stop learning from the Bible and start praying the Bible. It was designed to be prayed. Too many people are using it like a textbook. No one except weirdos read textbooks. Read it like a conversation. Every page of the Bible is a conversation starter. Even if the conversation starts with, uh, God, I don't understand this bit. That's a good start to a conversation. But just at the end, yield. You may need to get, get your heart right with God, tell him you sorry for some stuff, but yield to him. So you can do that in 10 minutes. Pause, rejoice, ask, yield and uh it's super simple And if you're teaching it to a kid scrap that tricky word yield for yes it works just as well Uh, the way you do it with a seven-year-old is pause you just take some deep breaths and have a Uh couple for a while rejoice you what are we going to say thank you to jesus for today ask what do we need jesus to do and then yield or saying yes you just say uh, what what do you think jesus might be telling us to do today and then you you say you'll do it so this works you, you can do a weekend retreat with PRAY or you can take 10 minutes to do it on your coffee break.
1: That is brilliant right there. Thanks so much, Pete. Pete, please um, give our love to your wife, Sammy, and to your family and to Mayus Road. I uh, hope your, you know, online services are going really well and uh, you're, you're in our oh, great now. Thanks. For good
0: advice me. from you, Glenn. Thank you. We, I was getting some advice. Uh, some of the stuff you've been teaching so helpful. So yeah. thank you. Thanks, my friend. Pete, before you go,
1: any chance you can just you can pray for everybody who's watching this and listening to this. That'd be wonderful. Thanks so
0: much. Okay, this is the moment. If we if this is not just a religious thing, this is actually an encounter with God. We we get so used, especially right now, to staring at screens and passively observing and holding up our scorecards. You may have liked this podcast or not liked it but this is now between you and God, if I'm going to pray for you. So I want to just invite you, just open your hands on your lap in front of you as a way of saying, okay, God, <laughs> this is you and me. I just want to pray for you in that moment. Lord Jesus, thank you that you love us with all your heart, or your soul, or your mind, all your strength. Thank you that all you ever wanted was relationship. Thank you, Lord, that everything you ask of us is what you've already given to us. I pray, Lord, for every person listening to this, within them is thinking, I want to know the Lord better. Uh, I want to grow in prayer. I ask you, Lord, that your spirit within them would stir up a prayer meeting that would disrupt their thinking, disrupt their emotions, disrupt their futures. Lord, we know that heaven is full of prayer. We know that Romans eight says the Holy Spirit is interceding right now and groans beyond talking. We know that Jesus lives to intercede. So, Holy Spirit, would you fill our lives with heaven's groans, heaven's prayer meeting, heaven's longings? Teach us to pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks so much, Pete. Greg, have a your
0: phone going there, Clint.
1: That was my phone <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was working with a professional
1: Mate, it was the Holy Spirit actually just phoning down to planet Earth with us
0: You're lying to me my
1: friend. <laughs> Love you bro, thanks so much mate
0: Thanks, see you soon, cheers see
1: you soon. Take care, bye bye
0: Thank you for listening to this Audacious Podcast We'd love for you to join us at one of our church services happening every Sunday 10, 12 and 5.30pm